Hello everyone and welcome to the second episode of the Double View Podcast, a weekly wrestling rewatch podcast hosted by myself, Sid, the Brit wrestler formerly known as Triggerman, and with me as always is Superstar Pete Andrews, or Pete as his family know him. They, do, they don't call me Superstar, it's weird. Funny that. You just sort of sort that out. <laughs> I mean, you did ask as well. Yeah. But it just, uh... If you could call me this, I'd appreciate it. Never done it. Oh well. Join us today as we look at the second pay-per-view in the AEW Wrestling Revolution, the first branded AEW pay-per-view. Today, we're going double or nothing. But before we get into all that, Pete, yes. did you know there's a version of Shawn Michaels' entrance music sung by Vince McMahon? There is indeed. Yeah, I don't think it was ever used. It's kind of one of those things that probably, you know, Vince liked to get involved with everything to prove a point or show that it can work. Maybe Michael's like, I don't really want to sing it. It's like, I'll do it. I bet they listened to that when they were allegedly banging each other. Yes, what well, you would, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, with chairs, obviously. Yes, that's when what, they were hitting that's each what other you meant. Yeah. With, with chairs, totally. So that's... So, so we've got a Sherry Martel version, the Shaw Michaels version, the Vince McMahon version, <laughs> brilliant, and the uh, William Shatner version. Which which version of those is your favourite? And the Kurt Angle version. Don't forget that one. Ah, oh, good good shout, good shout. Yeah. Oh, I like it. Well, we're 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 off to a cracking start with that. I think this is the best show we've ever done. Yeah, let's end it there. Yeah. Yeah. But definitely, definitely, I've got a feeling this is going to be the best show we've ever done. Oh, yeah, I agree. Out of, out of two. Yeah. So before we get into Double or Nothing, we are looking at the AEW announcement. Uh, Pete, tell us a little about this. So, yeah, this was really cool. I remember watching it at the time. So it was in a car park where all good announcements happened. But it was, it was just a, a big press conference, a big rally to kind of announce AEW and show off a few of the faces that they, at the time, had signed for the company as well. So you kind of got a feel about who was going to be involved and what it was all about. It was just a it was a very cool moment to see, you know, this thing actually come to life. There'd been rumblings and rumours for a while, um, to the point where people were like, had heard that Chris Jericho and Jim Ross were going to be forming a wrestling company and all these little rumours and it kind of, came to a head and it it was in the end it was aw and we saw a few of the players involved i noticed it was at the jacksonville jaguars venue which is obviously the uh american football team yeah. that mr tony khan owns mm-hmm. um did he not have the keys to the building that day <laughs> i don't know i think these sort of rallies these pet rallies often happen in car parks and outside so i think it was that's kind of why they did it that way because I'm thinking, like, if they did it in stage, it's inside you've already got the the perfect setup. But then mm. I guess if you've got the the 500 people who cared enough to turn up to any announcement of a brand new wrestling show, yeah. Uh, if if you tried to spread them ac- across a 50,000 seat arena, mm. maybe maybe that wouldn't have looked as good. Um, so when was this? What was the date for this? So it was in January 2019, fresh off the new year. We'd had. Um, a little tease of AW on being the elite. Uh, you had the main elite guys, so the Bucks, Kenny, Hangman, and Cody outside of the Tokyo Dome in Japan, all looking at their phones and the AW logos came up. So we knew something was going on. Um, but yeah, that's a really cool way to debut the logo. I like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, it was it was early January 2019 that we had the 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 big pep rally. And it's it's so much more 
this time and this place and this age to have it announced on people looking at their mobile phones on a YouTube video as opposed to the Vince way of we've sent out a press release to the 50 top TV stations and we hope one of them gives a crap. Exactly that, yeah. It's very much, you know, a 2019 thing. Hmm. Which is which is good to see. So this is this is what four months after All In, yep. the the non AEW unbranded event. All the same players come together. So this is hosted by Alex Marvez and Conrad Thompson. Pete, who's Conrad Thompson? So he's a, a lifelong wrestling fan. He does a lot of um, wrestling based podcasts. You'll hear him sort of uh, introducing a lot of them. He's also uh, part of the Flair family. He's married to one of Ric Flair's daughters. Uh, but yeah, a, a huge, huge wrestling fan. Um, yeah, does a lot of uh, sort of media stuff to do with wrestling. Okay, so good person to have here. And Alex Marvez is part of the AEW family. We already we've seen him on plenty of other stuff. Uh, BTE gets the credit going into this. I mean, they 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 do state BTE and give that a lot of credit on the show going in. And of course, they announced that the AEW T-shirt is already a bestseller on WrestlingTees.com and other places, and there's not been a single match. Exactly. That's not bad going, is it? Getting your, your logo on T-shirts and it's selling like hotcakes. That's, that's a pretty good sign that you're, you're doing something right already. So that's not bad. So when Kevin Nash this week in 2022 <laughs> yeah. on social media said to Will Ospreay, how's the merch sales? Mm. The answer is fine, thanks. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you? I know obviously Nash was part of the NWO and those T-shirts sold bucket loads, but you know... Did your diesel run really sell you a lot of t-shirts? I don't think it did. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's one of those things. You know, these old timers they uh they like to stir the pot a bit. Whether there's truth to it or not, I yeah, don't yeah, know. Yeah. But yeah, you, you see it a lot. Who can blame? Well, exactly. all, we're all we're all we all still love wrestling. We're all still trying to be involved. Yeah. X Pac, uh, you know, has probably sold more t-shirts than anyone on the planet, given NWO and Degeneration X. Yeah, yeah. But can you credit them all? to the one two three kid. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's a tricky question. Yeah. A tricky question. Um so this is a much anticipated event. Mm. Uh everyone wants AEW to happen. Like it's in the air yeah. tonight. Uh and we start things off with SoCal Uncensored. Yeah, perfect people to start the press conference. They were as I said on the last show, they were kind of at the height of their popularity as a, a trio at this point. So yeah, excellent to see them come out. There have been rumours that um WWE had sort of put feelers out to them, um, especially for Christopher Daniels to be, I think, more of a trainer than a an on-screen talent. But yeah, so that's why they kind of mentioned that, you know, they, they had been scouted by other people. But yeah, it, it was kind of a done deal that they were going to be part of AWE for me. Yeah, nothing quite as wrestling as weaponized signing. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, perfect trio to introduce this, but not the perfect name, Pete, because... I looked at SoCal and Sense had come out, and I thought I I know of a better faction and a better faction name that they could have used. Right. Bold by choice. Yes. Yeah. Um. With the old B A W A faction. Um. <laughs> I think I think we could bring that back and let these guys do it. I think they could do it better than anyone. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Um. Yeah, we should we should have we should let them know if they ever want to come back together as a trio, maybe rebrand themselves a bit. Get the BBC back together. Wouldn't that be good? Um, yeah, I just thought, so we've just got three bold white men wearing suits and sunglasses. And, and I just thought, wow, that reminded me of your wedding, really. <laughs> yeah. 
I thought this looked really good, like in terms of anticipation and like the host did a good job and everything like that. But I can't help feeling that for the son of a billionaire, alleged billionaire Tony Khan, this felt a little amateur in places. The mic levels in particular sounded just off at times. Yeah, it is a bit odd, like especially when the, the music's playing and you can kind of tell that that's being fed in from somewhere else and it kind of t- you can't hear any crowd reaction or anything when the music's playing. So yeah, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. And it's a real shame because for an event like this, you kind of, you want to hit the ground running, really. Yes. Um, but you know, if, you, if you're going to try and draw an audience in when the sound levels aren't right, best way of doing that, throw out some swag. That's right, yeah, get the, get the t-shirts Schwag. thrown out. Get the t-shirt cannon going. Yeah, you got to have a t-shirt cannon at these things. It's like law. And it's, it's so weird seeing, you know, executive producer Cody Rhodes, someone they announce as the founding father. Mm-hmm. And we know we know that in four years, he's gone. Yeah, it's, it's odd to look back on. But the thing with Cody is you, he always had unfinished business with WWE. I mean, even um, at the start of AEW, he was, according to the Young Bucks in their book, like he was the one that took the convincing because they all had offers from WWE. They were very much scouted to the point where WWE was kind of sure they'd got them all uh, and cut a promo right. uh, with the whole McMahon family in the ring on a Raw saying, we've listened to you. We know what you want. Trust us, it's coming. Um, and a lot of people sort of point that to the debut of the Elite for WWE and obviously it never came to be um, but yeah Cody was the one that took a bit of convincing but I understand it um, he's he was kind of brought up in WWE and around the big companies then so I, I can see why he went back of all the ones that would go to WWE I, it's Cody going back it was a surprise but at the same time maybe not so much you, you understood why he did it yeah and it, it's something we said before that no one at this point has grown up wanting to be AEW champion and everyone who gets into wrestling has grown up wanting to be the WWE champion or the NWA champion, depending on your era. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it, it's not a surprise. But the thing is, like AEW, as we speak now, AEW has been going for four years. We're only 10 years off, probably less than that, having people coming up, coming of age, getting trained, getting into wrestling, people coming out of uh, QT's factory. We are going to have the first generation of people who have grown up wanting to be the AEW champion very soon. Most definitely. You see it as well with New Japan um, recently. Obviously, New Japan has been going since the 70s, but the past sort of 10, 15 years has been a real good time for that. And people like Will Ospreay are very vocal about the fact that that's where they want to be the best. They want to be in New Japan and they want to be the best guy there. So, yeah, you are getting it with other companies now that, that people aren't always it's WWE I want to be in that people can quite happily say, no, no, I want to be the best in new Japan. And and you believe it. So then the conversation then turned on the announcement to the, the, the idea, the concept, if you will, that wrestlers have always been the least paid. Mm. Now, is that true? I think it depends who you are and where you are on the totem pole. Yeah, totally. So back in the day, back in the territory days, of course, there was a huge drop off from top talent main eventers to everyone else because you used to be paid according to the gate yes so the top guys they earn the money everyone else huge drop off and then it goes down and down and down uh, and the people who made the money would be the bookers who would very often 
be, if not the owners, they'd be very in with the owners mm. and the main event stars and everyone else dropped off. But now, of course, we have something very different in wrestling where we do have these guaranteed contracts. Yes. And there is a conversation to be made about guaranteed contracts. Will people try harder, put more effort in, break their own balls if they know a portion of the gate or a portion of the viewing figures, if that money goes straight to them. If you're on a guaranteed contract, you get paid regardless of how much effort you put in. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. It's a, it's a strange it's a strange one. What I think is the biggest difference to how much the wrestlers earn is having an alternative. Yes, definitely. So go, going back to what you were saying about the elite being signed by WWE, yes, that could have been a great payday for them. Mm-hmm. And it would have been, there's no doubt. But this is a great payday for everyone. Exactly that, Because yeah. it's putting the power back into the wrestlers' hands. They have a negotiation, they have somewhere to go. And it is it is crazy to think that even Kurt Angle defecting to TNA hmm. didn't really elevate TNA up to a serious alternative. No. It has just been 20 years of dominance by one company. Crazy, crazy. So it's it's great to see the power back in the wrestler's hand. It's It would be lovely to think they're all going to get paid more. I always remember that great Bobby Heenan comment when uh, when Mongo once said, any of these guys could be in the F- NFL. And Bobby Heenan said, why would they want the pay cut? <laughs> yeah, so I've, I've always loved the work. Like, wrestling's always been a bit carny. Yes. Act bigger than you are. People will think you're bigger than you are. Don't go around telling people you're not getting paid because mm-hmm. you just make everyone look cheap. Yeah, that's right. Having said that, there is a huge drop-off because Patrick Mahomes, or Mahomes, if you watch the NFL, he, he's been in a couple of Super Bowls now. Uh, he's on a 10-year contract for $450 million. Right. So, so there is a bit of a drop off. Yes, like from forty-five million a year to someone like Triple H, who's on about two to three million. John Cena, two to three million. But anyway, let's not get too heavily invested in the minutia of who gets paid what, because now the young bucks are out. Yes. Uh, now, sometimes we, sometimes we're not going to do it today because we've got a lot to get through today. At some point on this podcast, we need to have the young bucks FTR. Sean Brett discussion. <laughs> right. But not today. Yeah, not yeah. today. <laughs> January the 1st, 2019 is the first time AEW was mentioned. That all led to this event. Mm-hmm. They There was an interesting point where um, on the commentary, they are saying that it's like Cirque du Soleil meets Kung Fu meets Lucha Libre as a description of Young Bucks and Lucha Bros and some of the high flyers. Right, yeah. Interesting to hear that verbalised because some of that is some of that can be used and has been used as pejoratives to describe uh, the style of wrestling the Young Bucks employ. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it, it is one of those things that that wrestling has to change. You can't do the same thing year on year and expect people to stick around because they'll soon get bored. And the Bucks, I I can see why people would not like them um, because they. They are so performative with what they do, but just because of how they've got to where they are, I'll forever love them just because they're, they've changed so much of the business. I mean, the whole BG thing, getting wrestlers on YouTube is, you know, they they did it. it them and kind of Matt Cardona are the ones that, that did the YouTube thing. 
before anyone else and made it something so important to all wrestlers these days. Yeah, I know a few of the WWE wrestlers tried to do it, and as soon as they kind of had a little bit of success, the Fed kind of came in and took control away from them and kind of went, well, we, we want to do your social media. Right, so I mean, that was that was Matt Cardona. He was doing his... When he was that rider in WWE, he was doing. He wasn't being used on TV. He wanted to get himself out there, so he put this YouTube show together, um, which you know got him noticed. And unfortunately, the WWE didn't see that as oh, we've got someone who has got himself over, has got himself popular. Let's push that. They kind of punished him for it, and you know it's ridiculous. It's so silly, but uh, obviously the elite, um, the Bucks especially with BTE. They did it all themselves. It's their own thing. They were working for lots of different companies while they were doing it, so they weren't really answering to anyone and didn't have someone stopping them doing it. So it just went from strength to strength, and it's still going today. So it's interesting, because from my perspective, it's now a year since I've seen my first full Young Bucks match, believe it or not. Right. Uh, And that was, interestingly, considering what's on this show, that was also Young Bucks versus the Lucha Bros. Okay. And it was the steel cage match. It was a big blow off for their feud. Uh, and that's the first match of those I saw. And I kind of took it away, digested it, watched a few for, a few matches. And then a couple of months after that, I sent you a message on Discord. And I've actually got that saved and I'm going to read it back to you. Right. And I'm sure, I know this is going to get me some hate from the Young Bucks fan. But this is a discussion <laughs> that me and you, beat. we had this months and months ago. And it goes, I finally figured out how to verbalize what it is I don't like about the Young Bucks. They're the Harlem Globetrotters of wrestling. They're fantastic at what they do, in some ways better than everyone else, absolutely spectacular. But when the Globetrotters do basketball, you don't believe they could win in the NWA. Sorry, the NBA. And it was the match against Top Flight where that really clicked. Right. It's fantastic, but it's just a performance. Yeah. Um, Now, I've always said there's a place for everything on a wrestling show. That's one of the things I love about wrestling. No matter what match I like, I wouldn't want that to be on the mat- on the card eight or nine times. Yes. Every week, again and again and again. So I totally think there is a place for Young Bucks. I do think it is very performative at times. Not always. That's, this is what gets me. It's mm-hmm. There are people that bring out their worst instincts, and then there are people who really can ground them and get a great match out of them. Yeah. Um, and, it, and And you can say the same thing about... Kenny, you can say the same thing about Will Ospreay. And you know what? We were having this exact conversation 30 years ago about Shawn Michaels. Exactly. Yeah, it, it, it's wrestlers like that who I do gravitate towards because they can wrestle to their opponents. You know, if they want to have a, a more technical match, they can do it. If they want to just go out there and wow everyone, they can do it. And I'd, I'd rather that. I'd, I'd, I wouldn't like them to do the same match with everyone, no matter who it is. So... They are quite versatile, but yeah, they know what people want to see from them as well. So they, they don't shy away from it. Yeah, and more than ever, the older I get, the more I kind of look back on stuff and think, you look at like Alice Cooper, you look at uh, Poison, Motley Crue, Guns N' Roses, all the way through to like Marilyn Manson and the fear that used to surround him. It's all rock and roll. Mm. And that's how I look at wrestling. It doesn't yeah, matter exactly. if you're talking about, you know, what they were doing 60, 70 years ago through NWA, Owen Hart, Tiger Mask, the stuff they were busting out in Japan that no one had ever really seen before. Mm-hmm. All the way through to Young Bucks now, it's all wrestling. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. It's all wrestling. Uh, so, 
midway through the show, they, they do the big announcement. This is the announcement everyone's been looking forward to. May the 25th, double or nothing, with a beautiful, what can I, I can only describe as a Robot Wars circa 1999 <laughs> graphic. <laughs> yeah, it is a little bit Robot Wars. It's, it's the cheapest thing in the world, but it smashes <laughs> into the screen. And that's the big announcement we're all here for, Double or Nothing, May 25th. And yep. that is the show we're getting in today. But before we get into Double or Nothing, we see the brand officer, Brandy. The brandy mm-hmm. officer, clever, yep. like it. I love that she is the branding officer, so-called. Mm-hmm. And in her first appearance as part of AEW, she floats the worst idea I've ever heard of for a T-shirt, <laughs> which is the Brandy Officer T-shirt. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Well done. Um, so she says women paid the same as men. That's a whole conversation. Uh, I mean, yeah. is any woman in AEW getting paid punk money? I would doubt it, but I don't think there's very many men in AEW being paid punk money, to be honest. But how many people, how many women, how many men in AEW are getting paid Ronda Rousey money? Mm, exactly. Yeah. Turnabout is fair play, and things have changed for the better. Yes. So Britt Baker comes out, great signing. Then Nyla Rose comes out again, yep. great signing. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, MJF and Joey Janela come out. They do quite a numbers by the promo, uh, mm-hmm. which is fine because an MJF promo by the numbers. Is it's, yeah, than still good. Ninety percent of promos. Yeah, definitely. There's a hundred thousand people watching this live. That's no small. That's no small achievement. Yeah, it's just crazy uh, how how many people are excited by it. Just the, the thought of a press conference about a new alternative that clearly had legs was just so exciting. Adam Page is out. Yeah, he wants to be champ. He does, of course. And it's really interesting for me because I have seen the end of the story, but I've never seen the beginning right. of the Adam Page Championship story. So a lot of pieces are coming together with this. Uh, Pat comes out, full gear, no suit. Yeah, just Perfect. in his gear. Doesn't have any other clothes. Only has only has wrestling gear. Yeah, <laughs> but it's Pat. Yeah, and they're in each other's face. But there's there's no, and this is something that AEW is so guilty of. There's no pull apart. Mm. There's no natural end to the segment. They're not. They're not. They're not going to fight in the car park. So there's no pull away. There's no fight off. Yeah, it's kind of leave. It looks like Pat just gets a bit chilly. <laughs> he probably does. To be fair, it's January, remember? And he just walks off. So uh, they they mention in it. Uh, Jericho obviously gets discussed. Yep. Comes out. They say that he's not an EP, but he was. He was offered it and turned it down because of the amount of work it involved. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think that is Jericho thinking long term and thinking, uh, I want to keep my options open. I'm not. I'm not adverse to the idea of one more run in WWE. I think so. Yeah, I. I think he'd be quite honest about that. He will. He'll. He'll go where he wants to go. Jericho's in a position now where he can pick his spots, what he wants to do. If he wants to stay in AEW, he knows he's got a place there. Um, but if he does decide, I just want to finish my career, work for WWE. I think he'd. Obviously, they'd, they'd snap him up right away. So, yeah, I think... He, and because of his band as well, he does all the fuzzy stuff. So, him touring around the world, he can't necessarily devote all the time he would need to if he was had an office job as well. So, yeah, it makes sense to sort of keep his options open and keep his time precious, I guess. I'm surprised, though, they didn't at least announce this match with Kenny Omega. And it does, it does feel to me that in between... 
in between this announcement and Double or Nothing in May, there is at least another altercation. Uh, they use clips of it in the highlight package. Yeah. There is an altercation between Kenny Omega and Jericho. Can you tell me about where that was? So they did this a lot. I, I could tell you exactly where it was, but yeah, when AEW obviously didn't have its TV and they were building up to this first official pay-per-view, wrestlers were still getting their reps in at various indie shows and you would just have these kind of like little angles start at, at these indie shows between some of the matches that were going to happen at the pay-per-view. It was a cool way of doing it. It, it was exciting for people that were going around the American Indies. Yes, maybe they knew a certain wrestler was going to be on a card. Maybe they knew the Bucks were going to be on the card and they turned up for that. But then they'd be part of this angle that would build to the, the AEW pay-per-view. It was, it was cleverly done and it was good that it kind of showed AEW's commitment to keeping the indie scene strong as well that they would let their wrestlers still work in these if they wanted to, as long as it didn't interfere with AEW stuff. Um, yeah, it was really cool. But that must that must that must be a great bonus. Like you go to you go to this a show, an indie show, there's a couple of big names on it, fantastic. And then before you know it, you're part of the AEW origin story. Exactly. You get yeah. These little sneak peeks. You get these little snippets, these moments. Mm. That's only going to build anticipation. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Right, so we're straight into Double or Nothing now. We fast forward five months, May the 25th. Uh, where are we, Pete? We are in Nevada, Las Vegas at the MGM Grand Garden Arena. So that means we can lead, lean very heavily into AEW's preferred branding mm-hmm. of casinos and jokers and poker. And, and they they love that aesthetic. They really have yeah, definitely. latched onto that. And already before the show's even even started fully, the term AEW Don hashtag AEW Don is trending. Mm-hmm. Um, who knew there were so many Don Callis fans out there? <laughs> Indeed, yeah, they just wanted him there from day one, didn't they? And I've noticed as well, coincidentally, that's the initials for Double or Nothing. Oh, so... yeah, so it is. Who knew? So one of the things I skipped over in that lovely announcement they did back in January was that they were going to be working with Oriental Wrestling Entertainment, OWE or O. Yes. And we go straight into that here. The first match of the night is SoCal Uncensored versus The Strongheart. That's right. Yeah, it's a good name. What a name. So we used to see in Japanese wrestling... Mm-hmm. Um, and on this one, we're getting Chinese wrestling. Yeah, I mean, Seema uh, was kind of the the main guy as part of the Strong Hearts. Um, they did work for a lot of Japanese promotions, like Glee. Uh, more recently, uh, they're over in New Japan. But yeah, Oriental Wrestling Entertainment was uh, Seema's uh, company, and a lot of people sort of went there and formed this Strong Hearts faction. Not that long before AEW's um, inception, really. I think that only kind of happened in kind of mid-2018, I want to say. Um, but yeah, it was a, a nice little faction full of um, sort of wrestlers from all over the world, really. Um, but yeah, this is a... Seema was the guy um, that was very, very anticipated being a part of AEW, for sure. I think this is a good way to go as well. When you're starting a new company, bringing established talents from other promotions, it, it works both ways. No one comes off looking bad for it. But it, it means you don't sign a bunch of people to permanent contracts... And then go, oh, creative's got nothing for you. (laughs) Yeah, I think it it was a bit of a shame with um, the Strong Hearts, especially Seema, because I think there were bigger plans for them. Right, okay. Um, But they were obviously, because they come from abroad, 
when COVID hit, it kind of stopped them being involved in it. It never, they never kind of got back together after that, unfortunately. But um, one of those things, I guess. I mean, to be honest, we should just be thankful that uh, COVID didn't scupper AEW before yeah. it really got going, because it because it could have. I mean, it, took, it is what took down Ring of Honor. Let's be fair. Yeah, yeah. It's not it's not the only issue Ring of Honor had, but yeah. it, is, it is a contributing factor for why Ring of Honor folded. And you know, I mean, I can't imagine what it must have been like running a small indie fed where you're reliant on the gate revenue for a monthly show. And oh, sudden... completely. Yeah, I mean, that's I guess that's the beauty of having a billionaire running your company. <laughs> that if something like that does happen, you can still keep running. It doesn't hurt, does it? Yeah. So Scorpio Sky comes out and he's on the mic and he cuts one of what I can only call the best ECW promo <laughs> since proper ECW went out of business. Um, why then has Scorpio Sky had other people talking for him so much the last year? It's a strange one for sure. I mean, he like you say, he can talk. Um, he's great yeah, yeah he's really good and he looks like a star so he doesn't really need someone to elevate it's one of those strange things with, with Scorpio I, I don't really know why it's the same with um, if we're talking about what he's done recently with him, his team with Ethan, Ethan Page Man of the Year both those guys can talk both those guys look like stars yet they've had Dan Lambert talking for him who obviously great promo but yeah it's not the guy should necessarily ex- think they need a manager they need someone to do the talking for him because they, they can do it themselves and are quite capable. Well, I'm coming in from it from the other side where I've kind of started watching AEW a year ago and these guys just come with this guy talking for them, this mouthpiece. Yeah. And for me, with wrestling, that shorthand for these guys can't talk. Yeah, exactly. That's what you think. Yeah, yeah. 90% of wrestling is big up what they can do suppress what they can't do but no no they can talk and it is they had an opportunity as well like two three months ago where the crowd wanted scorpio sky to turn face and stay face yeah 100 percent. yeah yeah and they just didn't and they just didn't and i don't think that was just a reaction to sammy guerrera i think it was also the crowd wanted it yeah and what a shame that in 2022, when they had the opportunity, they didn't take it. Yeah, it is a shame. And what often happens with wrestling, of course, is you get these people who are like, they're almost ready to go. But because you've got so many other storylines going, you've got so many other mouths to feed, then they're, they're kind of hanging back. But we just had this opportunity where, like, three of the major talents have been injured mm. over the last three months, as we speak now in 2022. And that would have been the opportunity for like Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky to take it to the moon. Yeah, I'm desperate for them to give Ethan Page something, which is weird because a, a couple of weeks ago they had that um, thing where he cut this promo out about how he wanted to sort of be his own man and he kind of aligned with Stokely Hathaway, and we've not seen him since. So, yeah, it's, a, it's an odd one. It is, yeah, it is, it is a bit bizarre, isn't it? Um, but the match, the match gets going uh, and there's some... Interesting little tidbits I picked upon. It's announced as a six-man tag, not a trio, which is just, you know, it's just a little bit of one of those branding things. It just shows AEW wasn't quite fully formed as it is now. But one of my favourite parts is going into the match, Excalibur explains the 10-count tag rule. Mm -hmm. So we've always known in WWE that you tag, you've got five seconds. It's a flexible five seconds to get a move on your opponent, get back out. That's it. And they actually say here, in AEW, we have a 10-count tag rule. Mm-hmm. I have never, in a year of watching this stuff, I have never heard them explain that. 
I don't think it's a really a thing they mention anymore. It, it, yeah, it's it's one of those odd things that they definitely play by it. Yeah, every every company does really. Mm. To be honest, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every company's place they always have played fast and loose with it. But I like it. I want a company to tell me, you know, especially when AEW builds itself as a more sports based presentation. Mm-hmm. Tell me the rules going in. Tell me that there's a ten count tag rule. Tell me that it's a 10 second count out, but not if both men are outside the ring. We don't want a count out finish. Yeah. Because no one wants that. And that, that to me is like, I kind of think the way you get around that is when when there's a 10 count tag, one of the wrestlers should have to request to the referee to start the count. Mm-hmm. So you have to be in, one of you has to be in the ring, one of you has to be out, and you have to request a referee to start. It. Yeah, yeah. And that fixes that rule. Yeah. That fi- I don't, you know, someone should pick up on that because hmm. th- I've not seen it done, but I think that covers all the two guys fighting off into the crowd for a half hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good call. Because we don't want we don't want the match to end like that. There's only ever been in four years one AEW match that's ended with a count out. Yep. And they made a big deal about that at the time. So just put that into the rules and actually actually tell people i do think sometimes AEW is guilty of not telling people what's going on because they've got the most informed mm. smart smart crowd yeah definitely but, but the way you get newcomers is you do cater to the people who might not know what's going on um but what a great start to the match this was you've got you've got a six-man tag you've got a team that's very well known a team that's less known in America necessarily, yeah. but everyone gets over. Everyone looks good. Um, there was a beautiful Northern Lights suplex into a double pin. I love mm-hmm. that. That was my my spot of the match. Nice. Um, what was your takeaway from this match? Yeah, I mean, it's it's the perfect opener, isn't it? Um, again, we'd had um, the pre-show stuff, the Battle Royal and whatnot, but yeah, as far as the main show goes, this was the, the perfect people to do it. SCU huge fan favorite strong hearts like you say maybe not as well known uh in the u.s the crowd there probably did at least partial crowd knew who they were um seema finally getting sort of a a good showing on an american pay-per-view it was, it was perfect really you, you couldn't ask for a better opening match than that yeah and scu wins so the crowd are happy um there was the best belts ever which is obviously a combination of a Meltzer driver and the best moonsault yes, ever. Yes, that's right. Um, so, so instant six stars for this match. <laughs> and have you have you ever noticed? Maybe it's just me, but Frankie Kazarian, uh-huh. he moves like Randy Orton, right? Yeah, I can see it. Maybe a bit more of an athletic Randy Orton. I mean, Kazarian's been around for a long, long time. Um, wrestled everywhere. But uh, yeah, I, I can I can see that. Just it's just the way they hold themselves in the ring and kind of it's yeah, it's the way they move between moves. Mm. If that yes. makes sense, yeah, and like, I get it. Just there's a fluidity to them which which totally connects to yeah. So what I love about this, you, you the, the show opens, you go straight into a hard hitting six man tag, uh-huh. then you slow it down a bit, meet the commentators. Yes. When did Jim Ross get involved with AEW? So he was pretty much there. Uh, from day one um he'd been working for um new japan uh for a bit prior to this that's kind of where he'd been between sort of wwe and AEW. um so he kept his his foot in uh obviously working for new japan he knew a few of the guys that were getting involved in AEW, and it, it just makes sense to have that voice there yes he's not the commentary he used to be but you hear jim ross call in a match it legitimizes it instantly yeah it makes it big time makes it, big it does time. it I, does 
at this point, I'd be tempted to just hold him back for the pay per views because he's mm. had a rough. He's had a rough couple of years as old JR, and he, he is getting on. Yeah. But we are also, um, he is getting close to being the longest running wrestling sportscaster of all time. And I think that's the record they're going for. Yeah. And I think he will be able to drop off a bit. Yeah, yeah. I think we've seen we've seen in recent weeks, they've kind of, they're not having him on the show the whole time. They kind of bring him out at different points. I think that's that's the way to, to use him now. Yeah, at this at this point, Jim Ross is an event, so use it as an event. Don't yeah, stand yeah. there all the time; it waters it down. Obviously, we got Excalibur, the in many ways the voice of AEW. Oh well, in every way, the voice of AEW. <laughs> yeah. Um, Alex Marvez on commentary. So you've kind of got here. You kind of got free play by plays. Mm-hmm. No color. That's again. If I have to criticize AEW, um, Taz has become a bit too friendly in recent years. Right. He is. He is the friendly heel voice and like i miss i miss the old color commentators of old yeah i mean i agree when when i had my brief sort of dalliance back in wrestling doing commentary that was kind of the angle i went for i i was bigging up the the bad guys and and ignoring the the bad stuff they do and i think it is fun to have that um yeah it's definitely missed I mean, it's hard to do nowadays because no wrestler wants to be uncool. Everyone yeah, wants yeah, to be yeah. cool. Yeah. And, it, you know, you used to have the good guys who would be easy to pick on because they were just so warm and cuddly. Yes. And there was no edge to them. And it's it's much, much harder to do that now. Like, I mean, Jerry Lawler always said he had a hard time picking on The Rock, whether he was face or heel, because mm. The Rock was cool. So Jerry yeah, Lawler yeah. always liked The Rock, regardless of which way he was leaning at that point. Yeah. Uh, we have a fourth commentator. Um, she's only coming out for this match. We have Ali commentating. Yep. Because you've got to have a woman commentating on a women's match. That does seem to be early <laughs> AEW's thinking. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, Ali, um, we'd seen her uh, up to this point as part of um, Impact Wrestling. Um, obviously, we know now she is known as the Bunny um, as part of Butchering the Blades uh, team. She's she's there, yeah. It, it sort of proves that they they've got her on board. Um, she had a bit of a rough start. There were a lot of different angles for Ali, and nothing quite fit. Um, but then they found this sort of bunny gimmick for her, and that seems to have worked for her going forward. She has been very good, actually, as the bunny. I, I mm. didn't, I wasn't convinced when she first came out. Yeah, but she does work with that faction. I'd actually like to see more of Butcher and the Blade. I quite rate them. The yeah, they're good. They're very good. They're work. They're workmen, but they're good workmen. You yeah, know? That's, completely. That's, you need that in wrestling. Nothing wrong with that at all. So in this match, we have a fatal four-way, a tornado-style fatal four-way. First pin wins. We have Smiley Kylie Ray. Yeah. Um, seems to be dressed a bit like Pikachu. I don't know Kylie Ray at all, so give me a bit of background there. Yeah, so Kylie Ray, very, very popular wrestler. Uh, not just a women's wrestler. She's done a lot of intergender matches uh, in the past. Um, you can see how much it means to her when she comes out um, that she's finally on a big stage. Um, unfortunately, it didn't last too long for her. She was... Um, released from the company very very early on she's got a lot of personal stuff going on uh, i think that the fame gets to her a bit um and she has had her issues we won't obviously go into those that's that's her stuff um but yeah she she's had a rough time in wrestling she'll often debut for a company and it gets too much her and she has to she has to go again um but yeah she was considered a, a hot prospect at the time for sure and uh, people were very excited to see what she could do on a big stage but not to be, unfortunately. 
I can understand. Uh, I can understand people needing to take a step back. I've had my mental health issues. I've come off social media for years. Yeah. I mean, that's the weird thing. Going back to this, like I missed. It's not that I didn't watch wrestling at the time. I was off social media, so mm. all of the birth of AEW, I missed all of that. So coming yeah, into yeah. this now, it's very, very fresh for me, and it's great going back. So obviously, we got Nyla Rose in the match. Mm-hmm. And she, she's superly over. Like the crowd are hot for her. Yeah, so good. Yeah, Britt Baker as well. Uh huh. Always good. I've, I've never had a bad thing to say about Britt Baker. And then we get Brandy coming out, and yep. she kind of puts herself in the Stephanie McMahon role. Yeah, Brandy's coming out, and if she's going to get in the ring. She's going to get in the ring. No, no, she's out there as a valet, as a manager for mm-hmm. Awesome Kong. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's instantly great because you kind of got a match within a match. Exactly that. You got a fatal four-way tornado, but you want to see Nyla Rose versus Awesome Kong. Yeah, I mean, a lot of I'm gonna say a lot of people. People going into this match, they maybe not have heard of Dr. Britt Baker. She was still very early on in her career. Um, they might not have heard of Nyla Rose and Kylie Ray. But if you've been a wrestling fan for the past however long, you you more than likely know who Awesome Kong is. So again, a legitimate name. Yes, maybe not what she was. Injuries have caught up with her. Um, but, you know, just seeing her, her presence sells it all. Totally, totally. And one of the other things I really like about Awesome Kong is it would be easy for kind of like the trans haters online to look at this match and go, oh, look at Nyla Rose. Mm. She's got no place being there with these other two girls. And then Awesome Kong comes out and it's like, no, no, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, true. That, that's that's what a woman looks like. That's absolutely fine. Yeah. And how good was Awesome Kong in Glow? Oh yeah, so it, crazy because in wrestling she's always been this kind of silent destroyer, and then seeing her in Glow is something totally different. Yeah, it just shows you the range she's got. And such a natural actress, I. I yeah, think. yeah, completely. Yeah. I mean, Glow was one of my favorite shows. On, on Netflix in years. I, I loved it. I loved everyone in it. I wanted more. Yeah. I do think it's a real shame she's gone away. But it really, yeah, for me, it really put Kong on the map, on the map for me because it took her from one-dimensional heel character to yes. human being. Mm. So I was really, really pleased to see her in the match. So here's a question. Uh-huh. Brandy is now putting herself in a kind of Stephanie McMahon role as not wrestling, having someone else do the work for her. Is Brandy face or heel? This is going to be an ongoing thing with Brandy. She never I'm seems... I'm going to ask this every week yeah, until I get a solid and, answer. And you'll never get one because she never seems to find find her role. She She's a better heel. Like Even when she's technically a face, the way she speaks and the way she delivers her lines and what she says comes across so bad guy. Um so yeah, and it, it's always so confusing as well because obviously she's so associated with Cody that when Cody is doing his blue eye baby face stuff, but still aligned with Brandy, you're like it just doesn't work. From from day one till the last day, Brandy's there. We'll be having this conversation. What what is she this week? Um, it's it's just a thing. Yeah, maybe that's why she's not debuted in WWE yet. Maybe they've got a sign and she sat at home like the genius was, and they're just sat there going. <laughs> But what is she? Yeah, what is yeah she? maybe. What do we do with her? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so we had we had a lovely deadlift German suplex in this match from arguably the smallest woman in the match. I believe it was Kylie Ray who did mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And it was absolutely from a dead start. She just had her and it just went back. Mm. Second deadlift German suplex in two match. 
yeah, usually a complaint of mine if you have a big spot the same two matches back to back. It's a deadlift German though. It looks great. It yeah. always looks great. Uh-huh. It's weird how a move that has got less whip than other suplex alternatives could look so devastating. There's the struggle with it just adds to it. It's yeah, it's a great move. And Britt Baker wins this match, which yep. I always think is a good call. Um, what were your thoughts on this match? Great. Um, I remember watching it at the time and just being so surprised that Awesome Kong was there because she had quite, not retired from wrestling, but she wasn't on weekly shows for anyone or anything like that, uh, maybe due to the glow stuff. We'll see as we go on through the shows, Britt Baker hasn't found what works for her yet. That The crowd soon kind of turn on her because at this point she is kind of a, a face, not really much gimmick to her. We'll see as it goes on, uh, the development of Britt Baker, and it, it's very cool to see. And how quickly she sort of, once she decides this is what I'm going to do, how quickly it works for her and how quickly she gets it and she gets comfortable with it. Um, but yeah, good match. It, like I say, it's a shame that Kylie Ray didn't have a, a better career for AW because at the time she was like the hot prospect as far as women's wrestling went. Uh, and obviously we've seen Nyla Rose is still there to this day doing doing great things. We have a bit of afterbirth in this match, which sets up uh, the first match set up for the next show, which is that Ali will be fighting Brandy. Mm-hmm. So the two women who weren't involved in the match yep. will be fighting uh, in July at Fight for the Fallen or Fort Fighter Fest. I can't remember which one they said it was. One of one of those two shows they have coming up. Yep. So we already have our first match scheduled for the next bunch of shows that we do always good right so we're going into the third match of the night now and pete i have a lot of questions for you okay this one an awful lot of questions the best friends mm-hmm. trent beretta chuck taylor yep. now i like trent beretta he's got it yeah um just every in every way that counts i think that guy's got it chuck taylor to me bargain basement bradshaw Right, okay. That's that's how I see him. Best friends, one of my favourite tag teams going. I love him. Um, Trent Beretta, I think the fact that he is, you know, you say he's got it. I've, anyone who's worked for WWE, whether it be long-term, short-term, bottom of the card, top of the card, you learn how to carry yourself in that company. It doesn't matter what. You, you see wrestlers who have since been released from WWE and they're doing signings or something, they have a presence about them that wrestlers who haven't wrestled for WWE don't always have. Um, and it works. It, it, if anything, if you get anything from wrestling for WWE, it's, it's how to present yourself as a star, no matter who you are. Um, and and I, th- I think that's where Trent probably gets that from. Yeah, it's. I mean, they are the superstar factory, really, aren't they? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. They might not teach you how to wrestle the best you can wrestle, but they will teach you how to, you know be a star and present yourself as that well there's plenty of places you can go to learn to wrestle but yes is there only one place you can go to learn to be a superstar that's the question oh yeah yeah that's the question i mean that's and that's not to to put anything against the people who've come up the hard way Mm. yeah yeah as i call it because to me i consider going on the road working in japan working at in tiny little sports halls the workmen wrestlers i think in many ways they they have the harder route. It is probably harder to get to WWE and get the training, but once you do it, it is it is a boost up. It is a leg up. A hundred percent. I mean, I mentioned it quite a lot on the shows, the the major wrestling figure podcasts. They often um, do some YouTube videos of them doing signings and how they 
keep so calm and cool with some of the people that come up to them for signings. I'm like, I, it'd kill me. But it's that WWE training that's just embedded in them now. So one of the things I'm hoping to get out of this rewatch is I'm hoping to understand the best friends. Because they in the year I've been watching AEW, they haven't really had the best run. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons to that. I mean, one is that they're, they're just kind of flooded with talent and yeah. just trying to find find a space for them to have a match. Um, at the minute, they've got them... Trent Barretta was getting a bit of a personality, but now they've just stuck them all in tie-dye and they just walk out with Orange Cassidy. And I don't know if that's a bit of a step down. So hopefully, watching AEW from the start on a weekly basis, as we're doing for this podcast, I'm hoping that I get the best friends. I think you will. There's a chance I might never get past that name. I don't know. <laughs> they had such a good angle with um, Proud and Powerful, Santana and Ortiz. That'll be that'll be it. You'll it, that's where you'll either get them or you still don't. Okay, interesting. Because I uh, when I hear it, I just think of South Park. <laughs> Super best friends, yeah. Yeah, totally. So uh, then we have coming out their opponents for this tag match: Jack Evans and Angelico. Yeah. I'm going to ask you who they are, but before we get into it, yeah. I'm just going to point out how much I hate it when a tag team with no tag name have a better matching attire and a better kind of group <laughs> identity than the named tag team specialist best friends. Sure. I mean, yeah, Angelica and Jack Evans do get a tag name very, very quickly. They become the hybrid too. I mean, yeah, they do kind of, they do kind of hint at that. Yeah. Um, there's a few times where they kind of, I think one of them's got TH2 on their tights or something. Right. I think it is into that. But I look at them, they come out, Jack Evans, Angelico, Heaven Sent, Heaven Sent. There's mm-hmm. a tag name. And, and that took me 12 seconds. Like, they look like a tag team. Yeah. They've got the colour coordination. They have, you, they you have. have got a crossover in that name that's just kind of sat there, mm-hmm. like with Angel and Heaven, Evan. Yeah, it's it's not hard. It's not hard. Do it. Just do something. With it. <laughs> I also hate something when wrestlers who only weigh two hundred pound act like super heavyweights. Right. So, like, first, first, one of the first spots on this is you've got a completely fresh set of tag teams, and I can't remember if it's Jack Evans or Angelico, but they run at bargain basement Bradshaw, and they just bounce off him like he's made of granite. Right. <laughs> like, I'm not saying they should have knocked him over on the first move. Yeah. But this is this is an indie fed thing that I've noticed. There, that like when when we were doing the AWA, I weighed maybe two hundred and twenty pounds, and like I would be the one who stepped over the top ropes. Yeah, and like I'd do a few of the super well, not super heavyweight, but I'd do some of the heavyweight moves because mm-hmm. yep. in in that small pond, I yes. was the the bigger guy. Yeah, that's it. You put me on a proper wrestling show with like the AEW roster or WWE roster, I'm an average-sized dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. And, and Bradshaw, the people are, like, bargain Bradshaw, Chuck Taylor, people are bouncing off him like, <laughs> like, you can't move the guy. And, uh, I'll never <laughs> JR's best single commentary line in this match, since Hell in a Cell 2, when, yeah. when he called Jack Evans and Angelico the anti-Huggites. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad, is it? <laughs> I love it. It's brilliant. I've got a feeling that's probably been used a lot since, but that's the first time I heard it, and I was just like, "That's that's very very good, very good." Um, Chuck Taylor shouts, "Nobody kicks out the Falcon Arrow." I'm guessing from the way everyone reacted to that, he says that often, and everyone kicks out of it. Yeah, it's what Chuck Taylor. 
he's always been one of those wrestlers who doesn't necessarily take himself too seriously. Um, famously comes up with random gimmick names for wrestlers. With that's you know part of why I love him because we do that all the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, best friends were just so popular in New Japan. Um, they that's where they were before they came over to AEW. Chuck Taylor's done a lot of stuff for Chikara in the past, which is more of the light-hearted side of wrestling at times. Um, so yeah, he's he's it's probably one of his greatest strengths, but one of the things that maybe doesn't get him pushed harder than he is because he he is, you know, a bit more of a, a light-hearted guy when it comes to wrestling. I don't think he ever decides he wants to be the the best in the world or anything. Um, he did have some tryouts with WWE and it never went anywhere, and he was very close to just giving up so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna make it but thankfully uh that didn't happen for him yeah it is it isn't kind of contradiction to his general look and demeanor because like 25 years ago he would have been stuck in a cowboy outfit and he would have been a blackjack (laughs) or something along those lines you know um Mm. and if you you kind of want to do the more silly slapstick stuff maybe maybe he should put on a mask because there's nothing nothing helps diminish Someone who looks like a big badass quite as much as put them in a mask because then they could be anything. It's yeah, a, yeah, it is a good equaliser. It's a nice blank slate for him. Um, yeah, and I've, but I think all the background to the matches you've just explained it to me does kind of help explain why the biggest pop of the whole match and of the show so far was the hug. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that is always a, a huge point. I love that they always do the the zoom out as well. That's um, from their kind of their time in New Japan when Okada does his Rainmaker pose. They do that zoom out to sort of get the crowd reaction to him doing it. Yeah, they, they AEW do it for the best friend's hug. Yeah, it's it's really good, actually. It's one of those things that um, familiarity does breed content in that case. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it does. The crowd know it's coming. They want it to come, and then when it comes, they respond. So the match wraps up after we had the Doomsday Sexy Chunky Knee. Uh-huh. And something called a Tag Team Crunchy. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what you need. Best friends win, hugs, yep. light out. What's going on? Who are these people? What could this mean? Two people suddenly appear in the ring. Evil Uno, yep. uh, which is um, a card game which is turned evil. And Best Buy Kratos. <laughs> yeah, Stu Grayson. So is this the first ever appearance of or hint towards Dark Order? Exactly that. Oh, okay, brilliant. Well, they nailed it. Yeah, Uno and Grayson had been a, a tag team for a, a fair while at this point. Um, they were actually called the Super Smash Brothers on the indie circuit. Um, Uno and Dos, they were known as originally. Um, and yeah, they were video game enthusiasts, as you can tell by the name. It morphed into what we know as the Dark Order with the, at the start with the Creepers and the sort of evil cult side of it. Obviously, it modifies itself and changes over time. But yeah, this was the start of the the Dark Order being a dark, evil faction. Well, they nailed that because it, it felt like the first ever hint towards something. And that's that's totally how it came across. So I'm glad yes. that's right. So we are three matches down. And so far, not a single singles match. True, yeah. If that's the sentence. Um, which leads into the next match, which again is also not a singles match. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, they are cramming this show with talent. Yes. So in this match, we have... A six women tag. Yeah. This is again tree. I was thinking about this and how the trio's language is so much less gendered. Mm. Yes. 
six man tag, six women tag, get rid of that trios. Yeah, yeah, trios. Yeah. So that that I, that realization this match has actually made made me much fonder of the trios name. Mm-hmm. So confusingly, in this match we have Rio and Rio. Yep. <laughs> um, now the second Rio, Rio we know. She's she's kind of a bit of an AEW uh, all time legend at this point. Yeah, the the ninety pound women's champion. I know she weighs more than that, but <laughs> um, and Elton John's stunt double is how I'm going to refer to the other Rayo at the minute. Right. For the rest of the show, she's Elton John's stunt double, just to avoid confusion. <laughs> okay. And one of my absolute favorite women's wrestlers of all time, uh, Hikaru Shida. She's so good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love absolutely brilliant. Love her. She was one of the first. Actually, to be honest, the women's division in AEW has impressed the heck out of me. I don't think there's been anyone on there I haven't enjoyed pretty much straight out of the gate. Yeah, that's good. So, so Rio and Rio and Shida against the second Kong of the night, Aja, Aja Kong. Kong yeah. who Aja, I understand, bit of a legend in Japanese women's wrestling. Yeah, well, she trained um, Awesome Kong. That's where she got the name from. Right. Oh, okay. That Well, that's brilliant, man. That's... I like that. That train that that kind of completes that little circle. I'm sure yep. most of the audience are screaming at the podcast. <laughs> yeah. stuff, but if me and Pete just knew everything, it would be quite a boring podcast, I'd say. Oh, exactly. Uh, we also have Yuka Sakazaki. Yep. I apologise if I butcher any of these names. And Emi Sakura, not to be confused with Sakura from Street Fighter. Yes. Uh, so we're at the fourth match of the night. We haven't had a singles match yet, but we have had two Freddie Mercury tributes. You never have too many. Obviously, yeah, because uh, Chris <laughs> Daniels did a bit of a Freddie Mercury thing right at the top of the night. Yes, with the microphone, yeah. And the second Kong of the night, and two Rios. So this is very much uh, a, a lot of double, a lot of doubling up happening in this second trios match. Mm-hmm. We also have Aubrey as a ref um, yep. in this match. I like Aubrey actually. She's one of my favorite uh, favorite referees yeah she's very good i think you get a lot of people online criticizing her stances and how she's looking at the match yeah how dare a wrestler look like she's actually engaged with the match in a sports-based way yeah exactly yeah she looks like someone who's actually keeping an eye on proceedings yeah i think she's fantastic for that and she only gets the hypercritical analysis because she's a woman a ref job is to fade in the background yeah it is harder for a woman to do that just by the fact that most men are assholes. But <laughs> she does a great job. I'm great to see her in the company. I'm really pleased that nowadays she's a referee. Yes. Where not a women's referee, she's just a referee. Yeah, she's a, and the ref she's often the ref when you see like, oh, this match is gonna mean something if you see uh Edwards on, on ref duties. So my question is, did Kenny book this match? I would imagine so. He's always been very uh, hands-on with the, the women's division of AEW, especially with Rio. It's, it's, that's one of his favourites is is Rio. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure he was hugely hands-on with this one. Brilliant. So my first question about the all-women's match is, did a man book it? That's It's bad enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the, the match gets going. It's great. It's hard-hitting. There's lots of action in this one. Um, and you have uh, JR shout i have no idea who's legal and it doesn't matter <laughs> and what's interesting is like we, we're going into this match and obviously we've just done the AEW announcement where one of the big things is they do say 
that it ma- wins and losses will matter. That's, That's a right. big part of AEW's thing. That's part of the ranking system, that sports presentation. Wins and losses do matter, uh, but it doesn't matter who's legal. Mm. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not looking for NWA. I'm not looking for UFC, uh-huh. but it does matter who's legal because we don't want to go full ETW. Exactly. I, th- I, th- I just think that's that's one of JR's kind of failings a bit. He, well, he's catching himself, isn't he? He's exactly. Said yeah. And yeah. Caught it. Yeah. As, as best you can. We all do that. That's no yeah, criticism yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. But I'm glad the match got back under control quickly because when when you've got you you want your referees to be respected from the start. If they're not yeah, respected yeah. at the start, people aren't going to respect them for the rest of the, the the show or the company. So I'm glad it got back under control. Unfortunately, really bad botch at the finish. Right. And it wasn't a botch by anyone in the ring. Everyone in the ring did really good. It was that bloody Devin Cunn out the back again. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, long-time wrestling fans will know who Kevin Dunn is. Yeah. Um, in our little company, we use Devin Cunn as shorthand <laughs> for any of the gremlins. Any of the things that went wrong when you were putting on a Bauer show, if the music times out wrong or someone turns the music up accidentally midway through a match when it, it's still been left playing and no one's noticed on the on the old equaliser. It was always Devin Cunn. So um, Devin Cunn shorthand for Gremlins. And that's, that's what it. happened here. Because not only did the bell ring on a botched finish pin attempt, yep. they played the wrong person's music. Yeah. <laughs> which I don't think I've ever seen that before. Um, it, the person who is getting, I think it was the person getting pinned. Yeah, I think you're right. Their music played after, and it's just like because it was it was um it was Sheeda's music that played because she went on to win the match. Right. Yeah. She's getting pinned. It is a close one, but Aubrey is very clear. She doesn't count the three. She counts the two. Her hands are instantly up. Someone over eager rings the bell. Guy out the back plays the music straight away. Yeah, and it wasn't even the right. It, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. you you can't do that. So that that does completely kill the finish to the match because mm. we already know who's going over because the music was played up. Yes, yeah. And I think sometimes it wouldn't hurt to have that two or three second gap between one, two, three. Referee calls it. Then the bell rings, one, two, three second again, then the music hits. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't hurt, and it does make it seem more, so much more organic. True, true, yeah. Because we, we don't think they've got, like, back in the old days, they didn't have 10 CD players <laughs> right, music. Yeah. Just in, you know, <laughs> it, it, do, it does give the game away a bit. And that's a real shame, because it was a really good match. The yep. crowd were into it. Mm-hmm. Um, Kong probably passed the best at this point, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, it was it was so cool to see her. I mean, you know, how how many times have we had Honky Tonk Man come out in a Legends match? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, it, it legitimised the the match for sure to see her there. I like to see some of the older guys and gals getting a little bit of a payoff, even if they're past their prime. Yeah, they definitely. put the work in. At, you know, perhaps at a time when they didn't get the credit they were due. Um, obviously, in in Japan, she's definitely had her due. Yeah. <laughs> but, for sure. And we go straight from that into the first singles match of the night. Yep. Which is Cody versus Dustin. But before we're going to get into that, what is a podcast without a sponsor segment? 
This episode is sponsored by independent book publishers B-Star Kitty Press, who helped me publish my first novel, Not in the Eye. It's a satirical look at the adult entertainment industry and its strange parallels to the wrestling industry. It's currently free to download on Amazon for Kindle at the time of this broadcast. Just search Not in the Eye or CZ Hazard on Amazon. So here we are now, the first singles match of the night. It's Cody Rhodes, 34, versus Dustin Rhodes, 15. <laughs> um, have to say their ages in parenthesis at the end of that sentence, <laughs> because there is a 16-year age gap between these two. There is. And actually, I don't know if you remember, but the first time old Cody Rhodes came out on WWE television as part of uh, Legacy, I believe it was, I said to you, oh, is that Dustin Rhodes' kid? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you went, no, no, it's Dusty's. Yes. And I went, hey, but Dusty's, and you kind of do the math, and you go, oh, wow, well, was, well, he had lead in his pencil, didn't he? Yeah, nice one, Dusty. Cody versus Dustin. Um, and this is the infamous Iron Throne smashing. Yes, it is, yeah. The Or as I call it, the Cody double entrance. Mm-hmm. So Cody gets his full entrance, but looks a bit confused because there's a kind of Triple H-esque Iron Throne with the Iron Crosses at the top. Yeah. And he does his entrance as normal, pulls a hammer out from under the ring, the old Triple H sledgehammer, mm-hmm. and the crowd are so far ahead of him on this. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're so far. I think he thought, and then what I'll do is I'll go up and I'll bait it to the crowd and they'll figure out what I'm going to do. Yeah. But the second they see that hammer, the audience <laughs> is so on it, they, yeah. they know what is coming straight away. So up the aisle he goes, Hannah comes down on the throne, we get a really piss bit of pyro, <laughs> uh, reminiscent of my old smoke pellets yes, in back yeah. garden wrestling, uh, which is a shame, um, and as a tribute to his now current boss, he breaks the throne. That's right, yeah. <laughs> uh, the crowd make this spot work, it is a silly spot. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. There's lots of silly in wrestling. Triple H's WrestleMania entrances will attest to that. <laughs> but the crowd made it work. They were fantastic. They uh, they they put this over. Um, and then, of course, Dustin comes out. He's been there my entire time as a wrestling fan. Mm, yeah, well, yeah, like, completely. He, he, yeah. he was basically starting out as a tag partner for his dad, who couldn't go full match uh, as easily back then. Kind of 88, 89, when I first started watching wrestling. Mm-hmm. And he's still he's still there now. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's great to see. Especially he obviously had that period where he was struggling with uh, his issues. Yeah, yeah. Um, to see him come through it and then do some of the best work of his career, this match being a prime example is it's so good to see. Well, when your dad's Dusty Rhodes, you're always going to be living in that shadow, and people are yeah. always going to want that. And I think I think in many ways, Dusty existing has made Cody's road, no pun intended, a bit easier. Mm. Dustin is the, the kind of the firstborn. The he's the son that's going to go places. Everything. Dustin's come out and he's had this thing where everyone has huge expectations, and then everything Dustin hasn't done has counted against him. Yeah, I mean, from day one, he was given the nickname of the Natural. You know, it's... <laughs> right. And, and then sixteen years later, Cody's born. No one's really expecting much from Cody at this point. Um, especially if you've only really watched the Fed, where Dusty Rhodes' name did kind of get eliminated for a few years. Yeah, you, you might know this guy as oh, it's Goldust's brother, and of course that's how they tried to push him mm-hmm. as 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 Stardust. 
which he, he wasn't in love with. Um, but but for the people who know, and they know Dusty Rose, and they followed Dustin Rhodes' career, this is such a big... I mean, this is the biggest match of Dustin Rhodes' entire career. Yeah, I mean, this was a match that Cody and Dustin wanted to do for WWE, and they just they wanted to do it on WrestleMania. Then they were like, okay, if you won't let us do it there, let us do it another show. Just let us have a big match together. And it never really happened. I think they did do Goldust versus Stardust at one point, but that's not what you wanted. You wanted no, Cody no, Cody versus Goldust at that point would have been great. Um, and I think they had a lot to prove going into this match to just show WWE this is what you could have had. Yes, maybe they wouldn't have gone to the extremes in WWE with this match that this match goes into, but they proved that this match could mean something for sure. Yeah, this for me, this match really felt like... Um... You know when Ric Flair had come to the Fed and mm-hmm. he'd he'd started doing a few matches, yeah. But he wasn't. He was Ric Flair, but he wasn't. Yes. He wasn't. He wasn't the Nature Boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he had that one match with Triple H, uh-huh. and he was the Nature Boy again. And yeah. he bawled, and we bawled, and everyone came out. This was Dustin's yeah. moment. Yeah. That was that moment for Dustin. Of course, 16 year age gap between the two. If it was mm-hmm. any less, Jerry Lawler would try and date it. <laughs> and the match gets started, and straight away, second move, Tope. Then Cody does the Dustin slap. So the crowd are into this because we've started off with not only a nice top rope move or through the ropes move, we then had uh, a wrestler taking one of the other wrestlers' trademark moves. Mm-hmm. That's that's the Indies. Um, <laughs> well, it's every match these days. Well, yeah. JR is like, oh, this must be really hard for Brandy, and I'm sure it would be, but I'm not sure she ever completely knows what's happening. <laughs> does, does she know Dustin's Cody's brother? <laughs> You'd like to think so, but yeah, like we say, Brandy's character in AEW was all over the shop. Never stopped being so. Then you get the Dustin Power Slam, but from Cody again, taking each other's moves. And I've always loved D- Dustin Rhodes. Best Power Slam in wrestling, or is that LOD? It's definitely up there, isn't it? it the, the the snap he puts on that, yeah, it's something else. And, and, and the clearance, the clearance. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Obviously, he's the tall guy, so he can kind of get away with it. But the uh-huh. clearance on it always looks so minimal. It, it yeah. just, it's fantastic. It's always off the turnbuckle, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Into the turnbuckle, up, boom! It's it's one of my favourite moves in wrestling. Always has been, and Cody actually really, really nails it. Um, mm-hmm. Has he kept that in his in his little high spots roster? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. He's uh, Cody still does that. He still does the the drop down punch as well. It it makes it makes sense. Yeah, you've got to carry this stuff forward because if they don't, who else is going exactly? To yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and obviously, you've got two blonde haired children of dusty roads mm-hmm. so there's going to be color yeah i mean this was uh, like a state of intent i think as well with aw going forward obviously blood in wwe hasn't been a thing for the longest time so seeing it in this match you're like oh okay this is what we're getting from this company is it um and you know when it's used right it, it adds so much to a match absolutely and they did a good misdirect here so while while dustin's getting the color 
you have a bit of a head in the spot with Cody getting in his face. Yeah. Then you have Brandy getting involved. DDP comes out. It's yes. probably the biggest pop of the night. Yeah. Just carting Brandy off up the road. And that's really good because what we don't want on this is brother versus brother and sister-in-law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No offence to Brandy. She played her part really well, but brother versus brother, that's what this is about. Yeah, for um, sure. There's nothing like red face paint on half your face to cover up the blood, right? <laughs> True, yeah. <laughs> But that's what I thought when I first saw it. But then within about a minute or two, it was more like, oh, why is, why is Dustin Rhodes suddenly dressed like Kane? Because the <laughs> blood was covering half of him. Yeah, it's it, true. It's, yeah, that's, I've not, I don't think I've seen blood like that since uh, JBL, Eddie Guerrero. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where, it's definitely up there. Can, like, we all like a bit of colour. It does, it does help sell a match. But do we want to see the spurts? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit much, isn't it? <laughs> Um, and the other thing that I enjoyed in this match was you had the Shawn Michaels ass spot mm-hmm. where one guy's trying to get away from the other. Cody's crawling up the turnbuckle and Dustin grabs him by the ass and then goes to spank him, which is a really nice subliminal. He is my younger brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm responsible for disciplining him spot. But I, I don't think, I mean, obviously it wouldn't be appropriate for Shawn Michaels to bust it out in Saudi Arabia, but we've not seen a good ass spot in wrestling for how long? Yeah, no, true. Yeah. Does does feel like a, a, a long time. Mm. Um, so, like, not to take anything away from these two guys, I've still got loads of notes about this match I haven't touched. The crowd is the most valuable player, um, yep. as it should be at a wrestling show. Mm-hmm. And what I like is you can play to the crowd at an AEW show. The wrestlers are actually encouraged to engage. Yeah, for sure. Um, the, the guys out the back who were putting the package together live on the fly... Great reaction shots from the crowd. Like, mm-hmm. every shot is Undertaker losing the streak to Brock. <laughs> That's it, yeah. Every reaction shot is that, and it works. Um, how did you feel about this match? Absolutely loved it. From start to finish, it it was what I, I hoped it would be, because like I say, these guys wanted to do this match for so long, uh, and the fact they finally got to do it, I mean... Dustin hitting that code red. It's like, you don't expect to see that. I remember jumping out my seat when that happened because <laughs> it's just the most ridiculous... Like, of all the moves, you could say, what moves do you think Dustin hits in this match? It wouldn't have been that one. Um, but yeah, it was it was perfect. It was the, um, the first AEW match uh, to get five stars from Dave Meltzer. Um, the only yeah, yeah. one only match on this show to do it. Um, and it deserved it. It told, it told a great story. The after The aftermath as well. Uh, with the Cody needs a tag partner, he wants his brother. It's everything about it. When Cody gets back in the ring, yeah, that sell from Dustin, like yeah, he's it's... gone as far as he can go. He's got nothing left. Yeah, the fear, the uh-huh. like, primal. I love that. That was great. And then they do the big push for fight for falling, where it's going to be Cody and Dustin versus the Young Bucks, mm-hmm. and we get the Terry Funk voice wobble. <laughs> yes we do Cody's voice does go a little bit funk there a little yeah. bit of a oh, I need you it's brilliant love it uh, yeah. no great match great finish great afterbirth setting up the next show mm-hmm. what more could you ask yeah perfect so going into the next match they do a pre-show package I didn't watch the pre-show but I am of the understanding because they did a good job here that there was a battle royal in the yep, pre-show there was um and in that match, Adam Page won. He did, yeah. 
setting himself up for he will fight the winner of Kenny Jericho, which is coming later in the night. Yep. He will face the winner of them. He will. And they state that a lot throughout the show, that he's going to fight the winner of them. But what they didn't state is when he's going to fight them. So I Hmm. was going through the show thinking, uh, after the Kenny Jericho match, that's when Adam Page is going to challenge, and that's going to be when they put the AEW belt on someone. Absolutely not how it goes. Absolutely not how it goes. That's for another show in the future. They just could have done a good job getting that across to the fan. So... uh, we get a little bit of a highlight package of the Battle Royale mm-hmm. and Luchasaurus, he shouldn't be allowed to put people through tables. <laughs> that was the uh, the Janela uh, choke slam, wasn't it? Yeah, because if, if you can look at a guy getting choke slammed off the apron through a table and you can name which vertebrae they went <laughs> through the table on, it's probably not that safe. But yeah. Joey Janela just seemed to be able to walk through that. Well, that's, that's Janela. He's got those Mick Foley jeans where he can take seem to take anything and be all right. But yeah, Penelope Ford's reaction to that was so real. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's no acting there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And then, of course, you, you get the MJF doing the cocky heel spot where he's been in hiding. Yeah. He runs in at the end, dumps Paige over the top. Paige hangs on. Puts him in a great position to hit him with the buckshot lariat. Boom, straight on MJF. That's it. Loved it. Yeah, great. Absolutely perfect. That's that's how you wrap up a battle royale. So now, um, the show can't all be good, Pete. Jack Whitehall comes out. That was weird, wasn't it? Yeah, didn't get that. Didn't yeah. get that. Um, don't get me wrong. You, you put him on a Brit comedy show for like four or five minutes. He's all right. Yeah. He's fine. But for all the people. Didn't understand that there. To, it was just odd. And getting him to introduce Bret Hart. Yeah, yeah. Because of their long history together. So weird. Like, I, I still don't really understand why he was there. Yeah, this would have been a good place to bring in someone like Tony Schiavone, um, who obviously you've got the history of Bret, where that was the last time Bret was on an episodic wrestling TV mm. show. That would have been a great time to introduce Schiavone and have him introduce Bret Hart. Love Bret's AEW music. Uh, almost as much as I love the AEW Owen tune. Yeah, it yeah. Hits all it's close the enough, isn't it? The original. Yeah. Close enough, but you can't sue. <laughs> it's uh, all the notes in a slightly different order. It is, it is. And they come out, and obviously there's that red canvas. It's yeah. not a red canvas. That's actually all of Dustin's blood <laughs> just pulled. That's it, yeah. Lovely stuff. Um, I loved Brett defaulting to monthly pay per views. Yeah, yeah. when he's on commentary and he's like oh yeah and we'll be fighting for the belt next month and he instantly catches himself and he goes well next few months whatever the next show is and the crowd just laugh they're on his side he makes a joke of it it's just it's always good to see Brett we love Brett seems in a much better place these days he did seem to have a rough well we know he had a rough couple of years but he seems to have a rough decade or two but he just seems in a really good place these days Mm -hmm. and what a huge rub to Adam Page Having Bret Hart say, "My pick." Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not bad, is it? First AEW champion. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's huge. Like, if I didn't know who Adam Page was, I'm sure as hell going to know who Bret Hart is. Well, especially Bret going against two Canadians as well, because obviously at this point it was going to be Jericho or Omega, and he didn't pick either one of them. Great point. <laughs> Great point. Wow. Yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. That's really good. Then MJF comes out. 
because you got to have a turd sandwich to ruin everything. <laughs> and he's brilliant as well. Yeah, he's so good. That Hall of Fame reference. Obviously, Brett got uh, jumped by yes. some random weirdo at the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and then Jeff is like, "Look out behind you, Brett! There's someone going in the ring." Oh, I loved it. It's <laughs> really good fun. Uh, and then Jungle Boy comes out because they they do a lot in this show for building future feuds. Yeah, which I'm for a sure. Big fan of. Yeah. Jungle Boy comes out. Jack Perry. Right, colour me stupid. I didn't know he was Luke Perry's son. Okay, yep, yep. Had no idea until this point. Okay. Doesn't add that much to the show, but it's one of those things that you um, like to know. And then we <laughs> get another run-in. Um, Hatari Teenage Riot, Jimmy Havoc. Yes, J- Jimmy Havoc, a, a guy we're not going to see a massive amount of. Um, he, again, was part of that whole issues with British wrestlers coming out uh, a few years back. A lot of people coming out for the, the, the abuse claims and things. He was one of those. Um, so yeah, he's he's there for the first few shows, but is soon soon not seen again. That runs straight into a promo package mm-hmm. for the Lucha Bros versus the Young Bucks. Yeah, the AAA World Tag Team Titles. Yeah, and as as I said earlier, the first full Bucks match I really remember sitting down and watching beginning to end rather than just doing like a little highlight package, was the blow-off of this feud mm-hmm. exactly a year ago this week, in 2021. Right. It was Lucha Bros uh, versus Young Bucks in the Steel Cage. Yes. Um, and I remember you loved that match. Yeah, I, I did. Yeah. And kind of like, at, at the time, I was a little dismissive of it, but mm-hmm. like it's got this four years of history building up to it, which I hadn't seen. Sure, yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of both teams. Um, so yeah, anytime they're in the ring together, I'm... I'm into it. So tell us a little something about the AAA tag belts, Pete. So yeah, AAA, um, Mexico's big, um, big company as such. Um, been defended for many, many a year. They're, they're not new titles by any means. Um, some greats have held it. Um, not just uh, Mexican teams. Obviously, you've got FTR uh, currently holding them. Um, so they're not adverse to putting the, the titles on wrestlers who aren't necessarily full-time for for the company but yeah triple a is a huge huge deal in mexico one of the biggest if not the biggest uh company over there so yeah having their titles on your show uh again legitimize it they they aw didn't have their their titles at this point nothing was being defended so having a, a title match on the show featuring some of the biggest tag belts in the world isn't a bad thing so I understand going into this match that the Young Bucks hadn't wrestled much in the previous year. Not a great deal. No, they'd done bits here and there. Um, they'd been, obviously, uh, in New Japan pretty much full-time uh, prior to AEW being a thing. Um, but, yeah, they they weren't on every show. Uh, New Japan's pretty good at that. Uh, they they A bit like AEW does, they don't necessarily have the same people on every show all the time. Uh, and the Young Bucks in New Japan were generally used for the big pay-per-views um, and not much else uh, at this point. Yeah, so yeah, they've got a bit of rust. But I, I really like that because that was one of the big selling points. Like this match going in, it already mm-hmm. had a pre-baked story Yeah, that the, the Young Bucks have got ring rust. They're not firing all cylinders. Mm-hmm. Nick Jackson's had back issues. And you could really call this match Lucha Brothers versus Young Bucks, or you could call it how Nick Jackson got his groove back. Yeah, it was Matt Jackson was the the back issue uh, wrestler of the two. Oh, yeah, was yeah. it Matt? Okay, I, I'm going to do that with these guys all the time. But you could see throughout the show, throughout the match rather, both of them getting their confidence back. Yeah, completely. Yeah, 
you you had a couple of misfires early in the match, which mm-hmm. was completely played for. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. But as they get going, and when they get to the point that we're good and we know it's good, we know it's good. Like there's a bit where I believe it's Nick does a top rope thing, takes out everyone. Mm-hmm. He he's on his feet and he looks at the camera and he gives us that Alan Partridge on the ski slope look. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely perfect. It's like, yeah, I know it was good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the thing that I love about the Bucks. They're not, they're not shy about knowing what they're good. <laughs> uh, there's an interesting commentary call in this match as well. Again, Jr. Uh, just in the middle of the match, he goes, "This is great." And why can't tag team matches be great? Um, mm. Now that's that's a that's a sort of misdirected blow at the WWE who at yeah, point hadn't yeah. been great with tag matches had they no very much so yeah I mean the Young Bucks have always wanted to show that tag team wrestling can be as important if not more important than your singles matches uh, yeah WWE not really in that mindset uh, they've always seen a tag team as a way to make at least a new star see my thing with tag matches um, is if you if you sit someone down who's never seen wrestling in mm-hmm. any format before a tag match is the best way to get a new viewer into it. Oh, for sure. Because you can spend 10 minutes beating the crap out of one guy, having the heels do every trick in the book, just cutting off the ring, isolating them. And you don't even have to have a high work rate to do it. You, yeah. You can just obliterate someone. And then when that hot tag comes, if you do that right, that is the greatest moment in wrestling. Yeah, we we did that exact thing, didn't we, in uh, that match in Bista, where I was isolated by by you and Cash for goodness knows how long. But we actually we had a walkout on that match. We had yeah, we did walk out because <laughs> their child was who, who big fan of yours was so upset by what was happening. The family took him out of the match because he just started crying. Yeah. So as far as that kid's concerned, you might have died. <laughs> yeah, thing. didn't make it. You've you've got to keep the kid there for the payoff because when you start fighting back, <laughs> but no, no, that kid didn't see that. Like, yeah. do they? I wonder, do they stop Return of the Jedi at the end as well? Like, oh, it's getting a bit much. Now. We'll stop. So the yeah. kid just thinks, well, Vader wins, Luke yeah. dies. The end. <laughs> you've got to follow it through to its conclusion. Yeah. Uh, no, I love a tag match. It's um, like I say, it's the best way to get a new wrestler, in, uh, a new fan engaged. Mm. Anyone can understand the story of a tag match. It's it's wrestling at its most primal, I think. Yeah, for sure. Tag match. Yeah. Um, but in this match, we had probably the sloppiest tag I've ever seen. <laughs> right. Nothing. No problem with any of the match or any of the spots. All that. It told a great story. Did exactly what it had to. But there was a moment when both both the Lucha Brothers, uh, Penta and Phoenix, they were both in the ring. Uh, I think I think Phoenix was like one leg in, one leg out, but right. most of them was in the ring, and his partner came across, tagged him, and then they both got out. <laughs> <laughs> Never I seen that before. <laughs> no, and then one of them oh shit, and gets back in. Yeah, I'll look out for it. It's it's stunning. Oh, it's such good. a funny moment. It's such a funny moment. I mean, it, 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 you can miss it. Yeah. But yeah, if you look for it, it's. It did make me laugh. It's a good one. Uh, <laughs> I've got one more question on this one. Uh, Ray Phoenix, obviously, like a lot of wrestlers these days, he has a lot of tattoos. Yeah. And he's got quite a colourful one on his neck. This kind of spine meets neck. Right. Um, is it the Kellogg's Cornflake Cock? 
<laughs> I've got to Google him now just to find I sh- out. I should say cockerel. It's just, cockerel. It's sort of a bit bluey ready, and it just, at a glimpse, my brain went, well, that's the cornflakes cock. <laughs> no, I see what you mean. Yeah. We'll say it is. I think it is. Yeah, we'll go with it. Yeah. So, Ray Phoenix, master of the cock. Um, <laughs> and great selling by the box. This is the thing. People say these guys just hit spots. And they can't sell or tell a story. The way he's selling the arm at the end of the match, match is all done. Yeah, it won't even let the referee raise the arm. Mm-hmm. It's it's fundamental, but you'd be surprised how many people. Oh yeah, don't get it. Yeah, yeah, such a, a straightforward thing. Stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like not to not to mention him or every show we do, but Benoit was a master of that. Mm-hmm. Like, even if he'd won the match, whatever the point was that he'd he had worked on the most, he would sell that to the curtain, yeah, all the sure. way to the curtain, regardless yeah. of the story they were telling in the match. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that. I, I'll always be a fan of actually selling. Yeah, definitely. That this shit hurts. Yes. Um, just like every time we saw Page in this show, Adam Page in this show, he was selling the fact that his leg had been worked over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which it's it's fundamentals, but it mm-hmm. works. Yeah, for sure. And then we're into the main event. We are Chris Jericho and Kenny one more time. Kenny, oh, Kenny Omega versus Y two J, Chris Jericho, the Lion Tamer, the Wizard, the Man of a Thousand and Four Holds. <laughs> That's right. Although, if you'll believe the story of this match, the Man of a Thousand and Five. Hmm. Yeah. Because the story the commentators tell leading into this match, and it is really, it is a good job of the commentators, Jericho has been working on perfecting a new move. Yes. Uh, not so much a hold, but in the way that every wrestling move is sort of a hold, when if you want to call it that, he's got something up his sleeve. Literally. And this match is really good in the way that it is presented more like a UFC feud. Yeah. With a little bit of Rocky Four. <laughs> yes, yeah. Because we do have Kenny climbing up the snow-covered... I mean, it's not a mountain. It's, it's, it's not a glacier or the wrestler glacier. But he's, he's climbing up a snow-covered hill. Mm-hmm. This is obviously Kenny Jericho 2 going off the back of Kenny Jericho 1. Uh, New Japan Wrestling's Wrestle Kingdom 12. Can you tell us a bit about that match, Pete? We covered it a little bit last week. Uh, but I don't think we went into specifics. Who won that match and set this one up? So, yeah, I mean, that was... Out of nowhere, that match. No one expected Chris Jericho to turn up in New Japan at that time. It was just out of nowhere, just flashed up on a video screen. Like I think uh, in the build to that match, anyway. And it's like, hang on, that's that's Chris Jericho. Why is he on a video screen at a New Japan show setting up this match with Kenny? And then actually appeared like in disguise and beat up Kenny. It was just wow, what a moment seeing such an established WWE guy that hadn't had a big fallout with the company or anything, um, was known for sort of doing short-term contracts at this point, so he'd be there for a bit and then go off, do some fuzzy stuff and come back. But yeah, seeing him turn up in uh, in New Japan was something else. And, you know, to see him go against Kenny Omega, who at this point was the biggest star outside of Okada in New Japan, arguably Okada's equal at this point, um, setting up this match for Wrestle Kingdom was just mind-blowing. Absolutely mind blown, and the match didn't disappoint. And Kenny got the win at that one, right? Yes. Now, am I right in thinking Jericho had had some health issues around this time, which is part of the explanation for his weight gain? Yeah, unknown to us at the time. It's only sort of in recent time that that's come out um, that he was sort of suffering with these health issues. 
Um, but yeah, he he's in recent months he's really got got himself back into shape. He he didn't look oh, he great. Looks great. Yeah, at this point he didn't necessarily look great. Still wrestled to an incredibly high level. Um, still knew who he was and and was performing well. But yeah, um, yeah, he he wasn't at his best health wise at this point. He's a guy who could piece a match together without taking a single bump. Oh, 100%. Actually. Yeah, yeah. He knows I mean, what he he's would, doing. He wouldn't do that because he wouldn't want to disappoint the crowd, but he can. He is yeah, yeah. He is that versatile. So, like, he is a guy who can protect himself no matter what. He can protect himself with the match. Whereas I think it's a bit harder for someone like Kenny Omega because when, when Kenny's working injured, the crowd do have a certain expectation of Kenny. Mm-hmm. Um, which is something we discussed last week, and I'm sure we'll discuss again in the future. Yeah. So there was a bit in this match. Um, everything's going well. Great storytelling throughout. Uh, commentary team do a great job telling the story. Um, like when the table doesn't break. Right. Explaining why that hurts more, because I uh-huh. think sometimes people don't get that. And and then really selling the fact that the table fell on Jericho. And was that going to be an issue when it fell on Jericho's arm? Is that the move that Eric Jericho does his new move with? Yeah. Really impressed with Excalibur's storytelling in this match. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a point where Jericho is flipping off someone in the crowd. Someone shouts something. I, I wasn't sure if it was a comment about his weight or right. what. But Jericho responds to it straight away, flips off. Um, and the crowd reacts strongly to that. And it does pull away from the match for a couple of minutes. Yeah. Um, did, did you figure out what he was reacting to? Because I couldn't. I watched it a few times. Yeah, not 100% sure on that. Um, it, Jericho can do that. On occasion, get a bit sort of pulled out or something. CM Punk's guilty of the same thing. Um, he, I think, they can be quite easily wound up by something, um, and it, it will stop the flow of a match or a promo. I didn't know if he was trying to buy time because there was uh, it looked like a genuine hard way nosebleed, right? Um, and that's that's tough because when if you get hit in your nose hard enough, not to break it even, but hard enough to make it bleed, yeah. It's distracting. Like yeah, it, definitely. It blurs your vision. Yeah, it's just, it's just it's just disorienting. Your whole equilibrium goes. So I thought maybe Jericho was doing that to give Kenny a bit of time. Yeah, um, potentially. But I mean, it only got worse through the rest of the match, mm. and it didn't stop people hitting him right in the face. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we know the winner of this match is going to face Adam Page. Yeah. We don't know when. The match is building beautifully. And like I say, I, I still thought there was going to be another match on the end, but I looked at the running time and I was like, no, no, this this has to be it. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't do another match over this. And to be honest, you don't need to because you've oh, exactly. people, Jericho, Kenny too. Uh, lots of good attempts at the one, one-winged one angel mm-hmm. and reversals. Um, I I genuinely thought the ending was coming when, when Jezza goes for the uh, lion salt. Right. His moonsault that he does, and Kenny's up, gets under him, and that was to me that that's the way you hit the one winged angel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's out of nowhere, Jericho's not seeing it coming. You think Jericho's about to hit the his famous Fed finisher, mm-hmm. um, and the crowd won it at that point. Now, obviously, their plan isn't for Kenny to get a second win. Their plan is for Jericho to go over because that sets up the next feud. Yeah, uh, and I just felt it was a shame because like they've done a good job building up this new move, but that was the finish, and mm. the finish needed to. If it didn't come from that, it needed to come straight off the back of that. And I, I sort of felt the the elbow from Jericho, um, the the Judas effect. Yeah, 
I kind of felt it fell a bit flat. Yeah, it. I mean, when you build up a big new move, and that's what it is, you're kind of like, oh, that's it. Especially when like Jericho does do lion salts and things are a bit more flashy. Um, it was a bit oh, oh that's yeah. it. Is it? Yeah. No, I think I think I think you've absolutely nailed it there. I think when it is a strike like that, an out of nowhere strike, mm. I think you almost need a two three month build where you're you're dispatching jobbers exactly in yeah. two yeah. minute matches to really establish it. If it's this big kind of X division crazy bump, you can save that and hold it back for for the match. And it might have been different if like Jericho was known for for being a, a big striker, and he's not. He, that's that's not his style. So the fact that yeah, he has got this big name. impact strike finish now, it's like oh, that's that's different for him. Yeah, I think I think it, I think you nailed it. And I think if we just did it a couple of times beforehand, mm. it would have actually helped it. Yeah. Um, for me, lion tame, uh, sorry, lion salt into one winged angel. That that would have been the coolest ending. Mm, yeah. Um, but but not to be because Jericho goes over. It's one apiece. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, that's wrestling storytelling one on one. Because no one's going to want to see another match if one of them pulls ahead with a clear two wins. Um, you can't just have a wrestler coming back going, best of five? Yeah, and having uh, having Jericho go into your first world title match, yes, people do love Kenny Omega, but more people at this point know who Chris Jericho is. So if you hear Chris Jericho's in the main event for a championship with his new company, you go, oh, okay, that's that's got me interested. Yeah, and even if he doesn't win, it's yeah, yeah. A legit. You you've beaten someone legitimate. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, really good. And then out of nowhere, Moxley. Yes. Yeah. Of course. Uh, which absolutely no one saw coming unless they had social media. Yeah. Um, obviously, he'd uh, not resigned with WWE. He wasn't released or anything. They obviously wanted to keep him. He'd had enough. Uh, wasn't happy with how he was treated, how he was booked. Um, decided to bet on himself and. I, I don't think he minded where he went uh, as long as he could wrestle how he wanted. He went to New Japan, had an amazing run in the G1 there, looked like a million bucks. And watching him in that tournament was just seeing a guy suddenly f- remind himself why he loved pro wrestling. A new company, Moxley's unsigned as such. Could he turn up? Who knows? And the fact he did was just, yeah, tremendous. Yeah, he's not Dean Ambrose, he's John Moxley. Yeah, oh, yeah, completely different. Said- as I said earlier, I wasn't on social media at the time, but I was very aware that Moxley was making a comeback on the indie circuits. Mm-hmm. Like he, his social media self-campaigning around that time was yeah. absolutely brilliant, and people wanted it. And and to me, I I never really got the Dean Ambrose thing. I mean, I know you loved the Shield at the time. I know you were a big mm. Shield yeah, guy, yeah. and and you know, look at where the three people are now. Yeah, you were absolutely right. You always called it as you did Triple H in like <laughs> 1995. Um, they have all gone mega mega places, uh, yeah. but this uh, the Moxley character I can get behind. Mm-hmm. Is he a little bit of an Austin wannabe? Comes out of nowhere through the crowd, kicks people in the midsection, double underhook DDT. Yeah, the paradigm shift. Yeah, he is. What's wrong with that? Yeah, exactly. No one else is doing it. It's it's a hard act to follow. So it's a ballsy move to try and follow that. Um, but yeah, Moxley, yeah, yeah. He, he's got that connection with the fans. He's he's a guy you could imagine going to a pub with and getting on with. He's got that connection. He's a real man. You know, he's, he's a real person that that's believable. Um, and he's just he's instantly got this connection with the fans for sure. Yeah, I mean, the only person who comes close to doing the kind of Austin thing is um, 
Kevin Stein, Kevin Owens at the yeah. time. Obviously, he uses a stunner mm-hmm. because he was he actually went to Austin and asked. Yeah, and he got a retirement, got him out of retirement for a WrestleMania mm-hmm. match because again he went to the guy and asked. Yeah, and it, is, it is so weird that sometimes it's all it takes. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Like uh, Austin said, no one came up to me and asked before he did. Yeah, there, there was there's a story that Austin said once he was at I think it was just a WWE house show backstage and I can't remember who asked him but someone said like after the match do you want to come out and stun me and Austin was like yeah no one normally asks I'm here and no one asks asked me but I'm yeah happy to do it like mad isn't it that you've got Steve Austin there willing to do anything willing to do something and you just don't think to ask I think it's because he's in some ways he's too big isn't it it's like true yeah yeah we've we've always discussed how in some ways Superman has become a bit too protected of a character in the same way that Mickey Mouse just doesn't have a character now. Mm, yeah. He is just free black circles, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Like, whereas you go back and you read some of the comic books from 1930s, 1940s, Mickey Mouse was a character. Mm. Superman has been two or three characters over the years and, and actually DC are letting him be a character again. Yeah. But that's a different podcast for a different <laughs> time. I think, I think Austin has kind of become the guy... And he's he's reached that sort of mythical status. Yeah. Um, and he hasn't he hasn't come back mm-hmm. and done matches over and over again like your Ric Flairs, like your Hulk Hogan's. Yeah. And it has kind of put people have kind of put him up on this platform. So yeah, it's it's great that Kevin Owens did that. And I'm not sure if Moxley, if uh, if old Dean Ambrose ever went to Austin and said, I I kind of want to do that every man tough son of a bitch gimmick. But Moxley is the guy doing it in AEW, and he's doing it brilliantly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there was that infamous um, interview between Austin and when he was Dean Ambrose on the WWE Network, and they just clashed. You, you could see Austin wanted to get more out of Ambrose, and Ambrose is quite a laid-back guy in real life. And Austin brought up a few things from his sort of childhood that you could tell Mox didn't really want to talk about. And they they just clashed personality wise for sure. So I can see why they probably didn't really talk when they were backstage uh, together at shows. Yeah, it happens sometimes. Guys yeah. don't have a great chemistry. Mm. I mean, I remember that there's um you can search it on YouTube if people want to Austin and CM Punk. Right. Yeah. They're actually just doing a bit of promotion for a video game. Yes. But they they're trying to sell it. They're trying to put it over like oh here's a current current champion or legend in the making, and Austin, the legend, the guy. And it just, it's just, it doesn't work. It's just awkward. And, yeah, and that yeah. happens sometimes. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe if they actually hated each other in real life, they'd get better chemistry. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> sometimes you do end up with something great from that conflict personality. Yeah, for sure. But Moxley's out here now, and he, he gives a paradise shift to Jericho, but his target is Kenny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kenny. He's after, which is good because we know if Jericho's won, he's going to be fighting Adam Page. Yep. That story's set up. Moxley goes after Kenny. Kenny looks rough at this point because all the all the blood around his nose has started mm. to crust up. Yeah, and that, he just looks rough. And and Moxley does proper kick him in the face a few, <laughs> a few times. And obviously the paradigm shift that's on the face, and he gets one of them on top of the poker chips. Yeah, um, completely pointless because. Like, what does what does a DDT onto a poker chip mean over doing it on the sidewalk? But it <laughs> looks cool. And yeah, it's a cool visual. Yeah, and that's the point. And then he throws him off into the Shano mat. Yeah, 
um, as I call every crash mat, which is concealed under a thin layer of, <laughs> of wood, will hereafter be known as the Shano mat. That works. I think it was supposed to break a bit better than it did. Mm. Yeah, maybe. It wasn't a good... It wasn't a good day for going through wood if you're Kenny Omega. Because <laughs> no. it, it moved about two mil, and obviously the table he went through earlier was just a splat. Yeah. Um, but what I like about this, I'm going to ask you your thoughts on the match in a minute, but okay. what I thought about this is it makes you want to see the next one. Oh, for sure. Yeah, two big, big matches sort of made out of one match there. Um, so, yeah, for sure, you want to tune in and see what happens. Yeah, no, they've done it. They, like I said, I've, I've said it many, many times throughout this. But fantastic job of telling the story, doing the serialized story, because of course, All In couldn't really do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, All In was more of a spot show. Exactly. What this one's done is it's gone. This is the first of something. We yes. have narrative forming. So, mm-hmm. how did you feel about the match itself? Yeah, it was great. It wasn't their first match. It was never going to be. Um, but it it was great. I mean, you know, seeing Chris Jericho wrestle in America for a company that isn't WWE, something he said he would never do, was just special enough. Having him be a, like a pillar of this new company, finally seeing Kenny Omega wrestle in the US and something you're going to see regularly going forward, something he hadn't really done, well, not for a very long time anyway. Um, it, it, was, it was something special um, for sure. Um, I, I loved it. Oh, it was great. Good stuff. No, it was. It was a really good show. The first AEW show, mm-hmm. the first AEW pay-per-view is firmly in the bag. Uh, we know that All Out is coming up in just a few months' time. Yeah. So in our next podcast, we're going to cover the next two AEW shows, which are, I forget the order, so don't don't at me, Fight for the Fallen and Fighter Fest. Yes. So we've got that to look forward to. Yeah, two good shows again. So yeah, looking forward to rewatching those. Definitely. So if we've timed this out right by the time we do that, time we do it all out, we'll then go into the first episode of Dynamite, which should air the podcast should go out just in time for the for the third anniversary of Dynamite. Excellent. It's like we planned it. Dynamite. It is like someone sat down with the calendar and looked at it and thought <laughs> we can do this here. <laughs> Wicked. Well, thank you for that, Pete. That is the end of our second episode. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you to Manufacturing Content for producing this podcast. If you would like to check us out on social media, where can they find you, Pete? So you can find me on Twitter at Pitwar, P-I-T-W-A-R. We've also got a Facebook page for the podcast. Uh, search Double View Wrestling on there. Um, so like the page and leave comments and all that fun stuff. Yeah, and you can follow the podcast on Twitter at AEW. Because that's the pun behind the double view name. Ah, uh, get it. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at CZHazard. But you can't follow me anywhere else because I'm not anywhere else. Um, so please give us a follow, like, subscribe, upvote, super follow, whatever is the preferred positive play on your platform. Thank you for listening. We will be back in one week. Uh-huh.